Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and I'm glad you've made the connection with us today. Our show's all about exploring a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us talking, get us imagining, get us doing something different because we've made the connection. And we continue to learn about COVID-19. And we're, again, Minnesota in lockdown and figuring out uh, what does this all mean? And what is this virus? And how is it different? And how is it impacting us? And in the last week in particular, we have been seeing how African-Americans have been hit by this coronavirus. In Milwaukee, there's only 26 percentage of the community that's African-American, yet it's impacting 73%. In Louisiana, 32% is part of the population, yet we see 70% impact. In D.C., 46% of the population, 58% impact. Illinois, 14%, but 42% impact. Looking at Chicago in particular, 32% of the population is African-American, yet it's affecting 67%. In Michigan, 14% of the population, yet it's hitting 41%. North Carolina, 21% of the population, yet it's impacting 38%. Why is this happening? Some people are surprised. Um, Other people are not surprised. Other people have seen the inequalities for many years and are challenged by it and are seeing that blacks are dying from coronavirus at a higher rate than any other racial demographic. And this is a reflection of deadly consequences that stem from economically disadvantaged communities have faced for generations. And too often we can blame the victim mentality. How is it maybe their fault? Somehow it's their responsibility for poor health outcomes. And what's failed to be realized is that poor health outcomes are intimately tied to both income inequalities and generations of weathering, stress, anxieties, and other segregated realities. And although the pandemic is an equal opportunity virus, it can go without saying that wealthy individuals are not suffering as much from the pandemic. But we're not going to go without saying that this is somehow okay, or that the structural inequalities are too big to tackle, or what can one person do? In fact, we're going to tackle them today. In our continuing series of cultural intelligence, we have Jerry Fernandez, who is the president and founder of the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance. And we also have Andre Hall, who is the VP, and we're going to be discussing the Black perspective on COVID-19. And we're going to do some straight talk. Welcome, Jerry, and welcome, Andre. Oh, nice to be here. Good morning. Larry, thanks. Jerry, so plaques are dying is part of a racial justice issue, and I'd like to have you unpack that for us. Well, this is no surprise for people who are either from the black or African-American community or people who are focused on health care disparities that Blacks would be affected at much higher rates than than other people. Uh, I think it's a surprise to to some of the politicians, but it's not a surprise to us. And it shouldn't be a surprise because there is a much bigger issue at play, and and it's a whole lot more about structural inequality, how systems and 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 communities are organized, uh, who lives where. Who has access to health care? Who and, and and also income inequality. So if you have money uh, in America, many of the racial disparities disappear. So high income blacks uh, have some of the same outcomes as high income whites or Latinos or Asians or anyone else. When it comes to health, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's wrapped up in that. There are legitimately some cultural issues, diet, food. Uh, but the issues of structural uh, things around race, uh, ethnicity, class uh, that we've never really uh, dealt with need to. Andre, Andre, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, I think I think we lost Jerry there. Uh, 
Andre, share from your perspective how African Americans have been impacted and what you've seen in your interactions that have given an impact to you. Yes, um, Lori, I think adding to what uh, Jerry mentioned earlier, and I think uh, from just a citizen's being an African American um, and seeing some of this both with family, friends, etc., um, I've seen this for quite a long time. From my perspective, I grew up in the city of Philadelphia up until age 15 before we moved, and I lived in, like many cities, a city of neighborhoods, a city of ethnicity, et cetera. So neighborhoods were pretty much segregated uh, for the most part. But oddly enough, they seemed to work. Mm -hmm. um, but as you become older and you move beyond your immediate um, uh, venue, you start to recognize that what you deemed as norm was probably fraught with, particularly as, a, as, a, as an African-American, what I thought was normal was not up to par with other communities. I, I've seen that. But, so I'm not surprised because, um, with, with this impact because there's historical distrust by many African-Americans and blacks in particular about the health care system. And sometimes what that does is it leads to this notion that, well, that's actually for white people, but it's not for me, including the coronavirus. Uh, in particular. So I think the historical implications of mistrust plays into this. And also um, just the, the idea of many people of color, the type of jobs that they have, um, retail and some of those other places impact significantly their predisposition to, to, um, to being able to contract uh, the virus. Jerry, are you back with us? I am here. Terrific, yes. terrific. We, we lost you right after uh, you were talking about structural inequalities, and then we, we went to Andre, who shared about his own personal experience and seeing um, how things can be translated differently. And yeah, I, go ahead. I heard his part. Oh, good, 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 good. And, and the one part I would add, one short piece is that lack of trust. My wife is African-American. She grew up in, in Georgia, very segregated childhood. And, you know, the many of our leaders, many of white America aren't all that familiar with the Tuskegee experiment. And, and back um, in the civil rights era, just in, in that time, I can't give you the exact year, but they purposefully infected African-American men with syphilis to kind of find out how it was reacting and, and use them as test cases, but never told them about it. And so that is something that exists even today as people talk about it. You know, you can't trust those folks because, because you know, you know what they did to us before. And, and there are other things that still, even today, um, in the healthcare situation where there's data that proves medical professionals sometimes uh, less likely to prescribe pain medication to African-American women because there's this perception that they can have a higher pain tolerance. I mean, where does that come from? So, so aside of these income inequality, where you don't have access to the best care. Um, race is still an issue in America, which we don't talk about, and there's still plenty of racism, um, discrimination. Um, the way people think about health in general, um, and, and then you have issues like diet and access to, to healthy food. Healthy food costs money. And so low-income workers, low-income communities uh, not just African-American communities, because clearly not every African-American community is low income. But if you don't have the money, you don't have the access to food, um, then you end up eating a fast food restaurants and that kind of thing and, and uh, on, a, on a too often, uh, too regular basis. And that's where some of these, these um, pre-existing conditions, uh, diabetes, asthma, asthma comes from more where you live, uh, heart disease, hypertension, all those things have a, a tie to to uh, uh, food and what you consume, uh, but but a lot of that stuff could have been killed and can be addressed by fixing the structural issues. So we're we're looking at we know that there are higher incidents of infection. We also see an aging family and community members that are particularly, and I think I'd I'd like to hear your your ideas on how that particularly impacts the African American community. There is that whole uh, disbelief of information 
as you brought up the Tuskegee and why should someone believe them? You know, and, and that idea of helping African-Americans in the past has not really helped African-Americans in the past. So if you could wrap that up together for me is how you see how it's impacting older adults, um, overall the higher incidence, and what you see is what you see are issues that we need to to be grappling with. Well, uh, clearly, as I said, you know the, the structural inequality, the fact that blacks are more likely to live in areas that have pollution issues. I mean, could could the issue of the water, um, the lead in the water, uh, uh, happen? Which happened up in Michigan? Could that happen in a in a white community, a white or, or an upscale community? It's not likely not that it, it couldn't. But you have so when you have people who've historically have seen that we are treated in a in a discriminatory way, uh, it, sometimes that gets normalized. And they, as Andre said, you know, people just kind of accept that. Well, we're not going to get good good treatment. Um, and and I think those things play out. Uh, we accept sometimes, well, I just got sugar in my blood. Well, that's just the way we eat. And we really have to get uh, the attention on people to change diet, uh, to do their part in trying to address these di these disparities. But a lot of this stuff is just access to care. And right now, how many of these people that are dying have had access, have, have been diagnosed, have had access to ventilators? You're going to get into issues of who gets access to ventilators, and discrimination uh, always comes up when when it's access to a scarce resource. Andre, is there anything you want to add on that? I think, Jerry, you're right on target with that. I think um, one of the things that we have to, uh, to make a difference, I think we have to make a determination in our own mind and heart that it's going to start with me. So to the extent that we can influence other people by virtue of decisions that we make, whether it's our our eating habits, whether it's uh, you know, to include where we dine, et cetera. Um, we have to get the message out and embrace, uh, particularly as an African-American, my heart goes first to people who look like me. So um, without being preachy and without being condescending, you know, my message is that this is an opportunity for us to sort of look at the predisposition all of us have um, as uh as individuals who I'm a boomer, a proud boomer, if you will. So I'm really cautious of, of the fact that I'm predisposed to these things, but I also think I can contribute to my betterment and my ability to hopefully um, dodge the bullet, for lack of a better way of putting it, by what I put into my body and, and, and all of those things, my thought process, all of those. So, I think you both bring up really important points. I remember when I was doing health uh, community organizational work, someone told me, and it, it sent chills down my, my back, that health was a luxury. And that when I brought the messages about chronic illness, that chronic illness was a luxury that they couldn't even consider because the realities were they had to have a roof over their head and they had to have food on the table. And that needed to take precedent. And I believe that we don't we should not be putting people in a position of choosing between food on the table or health. And I think the pandemic is bringing up many structural inequalities that have always been there, but they're brightly lit uh, by the pandemic. And mm -hmm. with that, I'm going to have us go to break, but there's plenty more to discuss uh, how families are being impacted in the African-American community and how work uh, is looked at and and how are we grappling with the service industry and ways that uh, people are out there and putting themselves out there and what do we need to do to protect and support our, our frontline folks. So thank you, Jerry and Andre. I look forward to having us come back. You all stay tuned. This is good information, good ways to be thinking about what we need to do differently, um, what we can learn from the pandemic and how we can make a change. I'm Peter Rackliffe from the Eastside Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue. Brunson's Pub is a place where history and passion are a part of every detail, starting with the menu. The Payne Phelan neighborhood arose from Dakota people who lived here for hundreds of years, 
and pioneering immigrant communities, Irish, Swedes, German, and Italians, who made the East Side their home. More recently, waves of new residents from Asia, Latin America, and Africa continue the rich immigrant history and are revitalizing the community's cultural life and economy. Come experience Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com. Minuteman Press Uptown is still open and printing everything, but they are taking some extra precautions. You can order by phone or online and do curbside pickup. Plus, they're offering 25% off all postcards right now for AM 950 listeners in need. That's Minuteman Press Uptown. Zero Res has proven in lab tests to remove more dirt and soils than other methods. This month, you can get three room Zero Res clean starting at only $129 and take $50 off your air duct cleaning. Plus, they'll always follow CDC guidelines when cleaning your home. That's 952-ZeroRes or com. Hi, this is Laura. These are indeed confusing times. So much of our life, education, business, meetings have moved online, yet not everyone has Internet access. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, is here for everyone. Radio reaches people without Internet. In fact, radio reaches more Americans than any other platform. 92% of U.S. adults listen to radio every week. Radio connects. If you know some organization, maybe a religious or civic group, seeking to engage and knows that a Zoom call costs money and does not reach everyone, consider a taped or live broadcast on AM 950. Perhaps a virtual not-so-silent auction, recovery support, spiritual support, business networking, poetry slam. If you want to learn more about creating a live or taped message on AM 950, call 952-946-8885 or email laura at am950radio.com. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, here for everyone. My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. I'm a better neighbor because my service has taught me how important it is to be a team player. My training helps me in my classes when I give attention to detail to the task at hand. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my country safe from threats. Learn more about how you too can live and serve part-time by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And we're looking at cultural perspectives these last few weeks, and we're going to continue our cultural series. Today we're looking at the black perspective, particularly important as we're seeing an unprecedented rise in the coronavirus, especially in the African-American black community. We're all trying to navigate what this means. Um, But let's take a moment and consider what's happening in the black community and why. And as we have this time out in um, our station at home, uh, let, let's be thinking bigger thoughts. Let's be considering what we really need to know and not just a check off the box to get things done. But what do we really need to understand about the issues that we're facing that the pandemic is revealing? So with that, I have Jerry uh, Fernandez, who is the president and founder of the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance. I also have Andre Hall, who is our vice president of MFHA. Welcome. Good to be back. Thank you again, Lord. Let's talk about family and what's happening in the black family as we are dealing with uh, the coronavirus. How is that impacting the family? Well, until the um, one of the things that the virus uh, uh, has revealed is that stress is a big factor in all of this. And I learned a term just recently that I had never heard of before. It's called allostatic load. Uh, and it really refers to the wear and tear on the body, which accumulates as, as a person is exposed and repeatedly exposed to chronic stress. And so living in Low-income communities contribute to this allostatic load and the wear and tear on the body. It's been said by some people that being black in America comes with it an extra penalty. Uh, You have to carry another load. One of the things that came up in a story on NPR earlier this week is that in the city of Detroit, 
they had 127,000 water service disconnections since 2014. So if the water service is disconnected, how do people wash their hands? What are the implications for children? Um, people were going actually to the food pantry just to get water. Uh, another interesting piece that come out of Detroit, and Detroit is the next big hotspot for, for African-American deaths, is, is that the reporter who came from Detroit said that she was noticing that the elders in the community were the ones who were dying. These institutional pillars of the community, you know, pastors and politicians who, who had wealth of knowledge and, and people would go to, because they're over 60 and they have some of these health care issues or experiencing the negative um, elements of living in, in, a, in a community that doesn't have access to resources, in this case, uh, water shutoffs, and, and, uh, among other things, they're all dying. And what, what does that, what, what are the long-term implications for family if, if the elders are, are, are dying because of, of the virus, which was c completely predictable? And I've watched a lot on TV that's told us that people knew this was coming and that, that we're probably going to see more of it. That's why the importance of having structural change, you know, to deal with the racial inequalities around health and access to health care and all these kinds of things is really necessary. Andre? Yeah, I think when, when I think about the impact of the coronavirus to the black family, it's, it's, um, it's rather significant as it is, again, for <clears throat> non-people uh, of color. But uh, you think about church, you think about the the gatherings and engagements that we often enjoy just spending time one with another, sports, social media, etc. So the vast majority of those things that we are very comfortable with have changed significantly. So, we, of, course, of course, we know that most churches now are offering virtual fellowships, etc. But the fundamental impact of life with others, again, has changed. And so... Now we're confronted with, you know, so how do, how do we go on? From a personal standpoint, as a father of two um, younger 17- and 21-year-olds, with my 17-year-old son um, still at home, uh, I, I think about how that, had, what that, how that showed up. And for me, it's, it's probably in three categories, first one being language. Now, my son, who's 17, I'm dad or pop normally. Lately, I've been daddy. So that shift from, you know, uh, almost regression to some extent uh, has taken place. Then I'd say the second thing that I've seen is the behavior has changed. So wanting to be much closer, like physically closer, uh, being able to. So unfortunately, we're not practicing social distancing as much at home. And that part of that is a function of he wants to talk. He wants to know and, and be assured. And uh, uh, the, the, the less frequency of him sneaking out of the house. Of course, he doesn't know that I know what he does, but it, does, it doesn't happen with as much frequency. He wants to be comfortable. And, and thirdly, I think there's just general state of confusion or being in limbo where they're just not sure of what's next. And she said, as he said to me recently, he said, Daddy, I just want to go back to school. I just want to be back. So in, in effect, uh, I want it to be normal. And I think that's the same thing that could be said of most. But the impact on our families are incredibly important because oftentimes our structure might be a little bit different than um, uh, non-people uh, of color. And our roles, et cetera, need to be much more flexible and conducive to, you know, our current situation. So, uh, yes, it's, it's had a a big impact on our families, and it will continue to do so as we go forward with this. Laurie, I'd like to add one more quick piece to that, that these young people, um, our young African-American uh, men and women, they read the newspaper. They look at TV. They see what's going on, and they begin to form these attitudes that people don't care about us. Um, you know, we don't get – why don't we get health care? How come – they? so, so there's going to be a long-term implication when people begin to lose trust and in the institutions and the leaders, because you hear what what sometimes is 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 said in in the public square about these people, black and brown people don't matter, and and they talk about immigrants like like they don't like they don't, they're less than 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 human. 
uh, and these there's a there's a toll when people keep telling you certain things. You keep getting messages. Um, there's a there's a toll that takes, and and that's that's really going to hurt the, the 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 black families if we don't we don't find ways to address those issues more directly. I hear three things. I hear that there's increased fear that that we all have, but there's also now an increased awareness that there's a higher propensity of blacks being uh, impacted. And that leads to trust of the healthcare system, trust trust of the government, trust mm -hmm. of what messages are being brought and and can we believe them? You know, are they authentic? You know, right. I've also heard people talk about, you know, I'm not sure if these messages are real. Maybe they're this is all fake news. Um, and and is it being taken in? Or I've heard that it just affects white people and not black people. But that certainly has been changed this last week. How does that impact you both as fathers and as leaders in in how you translate that? Well, you know, you you bring up an interesting point because we work in a in in the world of of cultural education and insights, you know, to help people do a better job in their work and in their in in their places of of um, employment. Um, so, you know, I have to really be careful about what we say because we want to be advocates at the same time, but you can't overlook the fact that people are going to be, when they go to the hospital or their grandmother's in the hospital, is she going to get the best care? You know, well, it, now that you have all this suspicion that comes up around this and, and, you know, there are other issues that contribute to this. You know, we're more likely to take public transportation, which means we can't do this, this public separation. Uh, living in rental homes instead of, you know, home, your own home where, where, where you never know who was in there before you or, or, or with you at the same time. Um, you know, closing of major hospitals. So we, even as, as advocates, when we start to question some of the institutions ourselves to say, hey, how can our friends support policies that so clearly uh, negatively impact our community? And so I'm scratching my head a lot of the time going, wow, is that really how they believe? Is that really what they're going to do? Um, and, and so I wonder at some point, will there be a, a, a breaking point? This, it's, it's been said by, on the NPR show, the, the woman said that sometimes it, it takes a big catastrophe for America to make systemic change. And clearly this healthcare issue is blacks, are gonna, blacks and browns are more likely to get this, but guess what? Um, other people will get it as well. So, you know, we really have to be be focused on the big structural changes, the things things we can do something about, and these things we can do something about. And in our next segment, we'll explore employment issues. Uh, how is that impacting African Americans, and what do we need to think about? What do we need to do? How can we make changes? So thanks for joining us. Stay with us. The conversation continues after just a few short commercials. I'm Peter Rackliffe from the Eastside Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue, Brunson's Pub. Experience history and passion through the delicious menu, reflecting the Eastside's diversity. The choices are limitless, salads, sandwiches, burgers, and shareable plates. Visit Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM 950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com. Hi, everyone. Matt McNeil here. Thanks for keeping your radio tuned to AM 950. This is a challenging time for everyone, including us here at the radio station. To make sure AM 950 keeps broadcasting, we need your help. Head over to AM 950 Radio and sign up to support AM 950 with however much you can. And Brett and I will personally be thanking listeners who contribute on our shows. Head over to am950radio.com. That's am950radio.com and declare, yes, I want to support AM 950. From everyone at AM 950 and from me personally, thank you very much. And thanks for listening to the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Finding the right lawyer is incredibly stressful. It can be tough to know even where to start. Don't just run an internet search for an attorney. Start with the Minnesota Lawyer Referral and Information Service, an enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They'll connect you with over 200 thoroughly vetted, qualified attorneys practicing in over 50 areas of law. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. Hi, this is Chad from AM950. I'm here with Ryan, owner of the locally owned Snap Construction and arguably the most well-reviewed exterior contractor in the metro. 
Ryan had to call in for this ad because he's practicing social distancing. So what is Snap Construction doing right now to provide a safe working environment? Thanks for the introduction, Chad. I am at home practicing social distancing, watching the little man, and uh, trying to get a little work done here at home. Once again, thank you to all the AM 950 listeners who have worked with us in the past. Your support has been tremendous. Chad, the safety of our homeowners and our team at Snap Construction is the absolute first priority. Right now, we are offering a free no-contact estimate for roofing, siding, or window replacement. Through video chat, email, text, we'll deliver your bid to you without face-to-face contact. Lock in your historically low labor and material rates now and build later. No obligation. You can cancel any future work with no cost or penalty. For a free no-contact estimate, call 612-333-SNAP. Hi, this is Paul Metzer, inviting you to listen to the Wall of Power Radio Hour every weekend on AM 950. We are on at 6 p.m. on Saturday, 4 p.m. on Sunday. We feature artists, musicians, raconteurs, private detectives, and more. 6 p.m. Saturday night on AM 950. Weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today will be partly sunny with a high of 51. Tonight before 3 a.m., there's a slight chance of rain with a low around 34. Sunday, the rain's likely to continue with a high of 36 and a low of 27. Monday will be rainy with a high of 39 and a low of 25. With the state having closed bars and restaurants for dining in, it's especially important that you support our Eat Local Minnesota restaurants, featuring high-quality local foods, unique dishes, vegetarian options, and so much more. These restaurants are locally owned, so the money you spend stays local. Find all the restaurants offering takeout at eatlocalminnesota.com. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And we are talking about the disproportionate impact of the COVID-19 on the black community. And we've got Jerry Fernandez and Andre Howell, both from the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance. Jerry is the president and founder, and Andre is the vice president. Uh, and, And they're particularly good leaders to come and share with us their insights about how this is impacting the economy. Uh, it's impacting the service industry. It's impacting everywhere. Uh, but Jerry and Andre, I- I'd love to have you share how you're seeing uh, the impact of both the economy, jobs, market. What's going on? Well, uh, we're still figuring it out. Uh, one of my friends put it is like if you're in a in a uh, tornado, it, it, it has a beginning and an end. And when it's done, you assess the damage, you go clean it up. But if you're stuck in white water going down the down the river, it, you're bumping into rocks and sticks and hitting you. You don't know where you're going to end up, and it doesn't. You don't know when it's going to end. And so that's the issue for business. Uh, certainly, the service industry, the restaurant industry, where where, where we focus our energy, has been hit hard. And the, the, so the industry will have to make major changes. You know, customers are probably going to want um, much more space. Uh, cleanliness standards are going to have to be. You know, I asked the question. If the restaurants opened up today, would you go out? And some people say, well, I don't know. So I think um, small businesses are going to get hurt big time. Minority and black-owned businesses especially will be hit hard because they will not be able to uh, survive, you know, 30, 60 days uh, with no cash flow. Already I've seen restaurants here that are minority-owned that that they'll never open up again. So what is the implication of that? Uh, will big companies keep keep their con- their commitment to make diversity and inclusion a priority? Uh, you know, everything has to get cut when you when there's no income, and sometimes what happens is we cut back too far and we eliminate some things that were really doing some good. But now, because it's the, such so much of the focus is on survival, uh, those things won't be seen for a little a little bit of time. Um, but you know, I'm hopeful that there'll be. Um, changes like healthcare will be looked at as a more important piece um, of the of the equation, um, and and safety at work is a good thing. Um, so so those are a couple of my perspectives. Andre, do you you uh, you want to chime in here? Yes, um, Jerry, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, it literally is changing. At one point, it was changing by the hour. Arguably, now it's by the day. Maybe eventually it'll be by the week until it finally. Um, sort of uh, uh, pans out, but 
um, I think the impact is so significant that uh, it's virtually impossible for anybody that I know to not know somebody who's been impacted um, by either being furloughed or the loss of jobs. So I think it's that significant um, that almost everybody uh, on this planet knows of someone uh, who has. And, uh, and hopefully what won't happen is we won't know someone who actually has either been impacted by uh, getting the, the virus or uh, dying from it. So we, hopefully that's not it. So, again, I think the need for the level of seriousness in terms of uh, uh, the, the impact of this virus to all communities, particularly to black and people of color, and what, however that the size of that segment is who, who still may believe that um, uh, I'm black, you know, that this is more of a white person's uh, uh, pandemic, not mine. Um, we're hopeful that, that that's eradicated, that that segment just goes away because we see clear implications in Lloyd Beth, as you said earlier, um, particularly last week, um, that was revealed. So you almost have to be living under a rock. But nonetheless, the word has to continue to get out. And I will say that I'm very proud of our churches. As I mentioned earlier, the impact of um, the churches to black families is rather significant. And albeit that these services are now virtual, I have been listening to a number of different broadcasts, and it's virtually impossible to, to not hear a minister or someone speak to the importance of this. So the word just has to continue to, to get out and, and encourage more and more people to take safeguards. I want to drill down a little bit more on what you started to share, um, Jerry, about the uh, small businesses. Yeah. I'm not sure everyone realizes how much uh, the black middle class has been created and strengthened and supported by uh, small business. And by having small business so hit by this, how it hits the whole black middle class. Well, it's been said that in America, if um, um, it's been said, if America gets a cold, then the black community gets pneumonia. So uh, all these issues that are in play for any business and for the country are going to be, you know, exacerbated uh, in the in the black community. Uh, again, uh, the other issues such as income inequality, they, they impact the black community as well because we have a black upper class um, that are very distant uh, from the low-income uh, African-American community. Um, and that, that's just what happens with income. As income rise, you move to a different neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but those people will keep those jobs. Um, th- th- there are things that uh, are going to change. We're going to work a lot more from home. So companies are going to find out and already are finding out that they can work pretty effectively at, at home. You know, the, necessity is the mother of invention. So companies have figured it out. And so a company that might have had 100 people work at their company now, uh, when we return, 50 people may work at home. So you don't really need office space. So there's, there's going to be implications there. Working from home is great, except for some people in low-income communities um, – they don't have access to the internet. You don't have Wi-Fi. So how can you work from home? Uh, you can't. And, and so, so there's a, you know, low-income workers, particularly, again, low-income workers in the African-American community frequently have two jobs. So, and they end up being uh, jobs that they have, to tra- they have to travel for. So, so you know, as this whole economy uh, begins to reset, there are going to be some some things that we just won't go back to doing. If you think back to September 11th, there were things we used to go to the airport at the last minute. And after September 11th, all that changed. And uh, many you know, companies began to have security. Uh, and now you, wherever you go, you've got to sign in. Um, so what's going to happen when we go back to work? Uh, you know, health care issues. And what if somebody's uh, uh, determined that they might have some kind of a, of a, as this virus goes on and other kinds of things happen in the future, will people be required to stay home if you are likely to have the virus? And what will that mean? You know, will you still get paid? Uh, well, again, I think that a lot of things are going to have to change um, in the way we think about work and the way the work gets done. Um, and then, you know, the way the, the sectors of the industry, uh, restaurants completely uh, have moved to a takeout model 
a a delivery model. Uh, you can go to a wine shop and that never delivered. All these things you know, are changing, and, and I keep coming back and say, how are they going to impact the black community? Because already there are a lot of services that are not available in, in, in African-American communities. Um, we have very low levels of economic mobility, you know, so which means you grow up poor, you stay poor, and 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 you know if you take away these these escalator programs that take you from low income to to middle income and higher income, well, you have real challenges there. So so uh, I think it's still so much uh, that we don't know, uh, but we but the things that we do know, uh, the disparities that impact uh, Black America. Uh, are going to show up in the world of work the same way they're showing up in the healthcare system uh, and in communities right now. And as we go into our last segment, I want to take that idea that things are changing and we're predicting the future to a certain degree as to what's happening. But are there things that we could prepare for, for let's call it a soft landing to bring people back? Uh, what are employers going to need to be thinking about? What are they going to need to do? Uh, what are some strategies um, that you both can give us in terms of thinking about what's next. So stay with us. We'll be back for our last segment uh, and an important one on what do we need to do. You're listening to Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Clockwork is an experienced design and technology agency, which means they help transform businesses around the globe by connecting people, processes, and technology. They bridge the gap between marketing and technology to put people at the heart of digital solutions, transforming how your customers interact with your brand. Clockworks Technology Consulting, Experience Design, and Software Development Expertise makes them a full-service digital partner to help you design your customer experience, build an app, or connect all of your digital properties into one seamless system. If you're in need of major tech updates but aren't sure where to start, they'll help you figure that out, too. To learn more about how they've helped other businesses make digital transformation less painful, visit clockwork.com radio. Clockwork. Digital done right. Hey, it's Brett from FYI Politics, and I want to thank you for listening to AM950. The advertisers you hear are what allows us to stay on the airwaves, and unfortunately, some of them are going to be going through some tough times with the coronavirus. So support our advertisers in any way you can, whether that's ordering takeout food from one of our Eat Local Minnesota restaurants, purchasing gift cards, or just contacting them and telling them thanks for supporting AM950. Even the littlest thing you can do can go a long way. Find a full list of our advertisers at am950radio.com. And thanks for listening. Tom Hartman here letting you know how you can save money with All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that it's too expensive and you need lots of money down. The truth? Solar is available for little or no money down. And if you have a great site for solar, you might even save money right away on a monthly basis. So don't wait to switch. You'll see your investment pay off the sooner you switch to All Energy Solar. So start saving today and visit allenergysolar.com. Hi, Gregory Rich, owner of Habitation Furnishing and Design and host of Drink in the Style. Look, we're all working from home right now, and chances are you've become aware of the importance of a decent office chair. Well, I'd like to offer you a means of helping a local business while making working from home a lot more pleasant. How about considering the X chair? We can ship the X chair directly to your home. Now, I wish I could have you into Habitation to try it out, but that's not an option. So I'm encouraging you to visit xchair.com to have a look. But once you do, please give Habitation a call to place your order. Doing so ensures that you're supporting a local business at a time that we really need your help. And I'll tell you what, when you place your order by phone with Habitation, we'll discount the chairs an extra 10% off the lowest price on the X-Chair website. So do your back, neck, and butt a favor and take a look at X-Chair at xchair.com. Then call Habitation at 952-426-3548. That's 952 426 Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and we've been talking about how African Americans face a higher risk of exposure to the virus, mostly on account of concentrating in urban areas and working in essential industries. Only 20% of black workers reported being eligible to work from home. 
compared to about 30% of their white counterparts. It's killed a higher number of older black men because of this. There's also been outbreaks among women, young African Americans, and we're looking to figure out the research, and we hear about obesity and high blood pressure and diabetes. These are all important risk factors, and the virus is known to take a harsher toll on those with those underlying health issues, and we're seeing the outcome of that. However, we're also seeing other issues that come up. And unconscious racial bias can also contribute to the unequal health outcomes. <clears throat> and how are health professionals facing that? We're finding out. But as we look at this and we look to the future and we want to create an environment for the workforce that they feel safe, that they feel supported, and that they feel cared for in an authentic way, we need to think through what do we need to do in the future as we look at the workforce? And with that, I have Jerry Fernandez, who is the president and founder of MFHA, which is the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance. We also have Andre Howell, who is the vice president. Welcome to you both, and thank you for sharing your insights today. Well, thank you for hosting it, Larry. This needs to be talked about, and uh, uh, we're happy to have the opportunity to be here. So talk to me about what you see needs to happen as you are advising employers, everyone, as you said in the last segment, are navigating the <laughs> the the white rafts, the the, the right, white river rafting, and we don't know. We're getting banged up, but we always it, it's important to have a guide, and even if the guide has never gone through that river before, you do have experience of general of years and years decades of looking at multicultural looking at unconscious bias looking at how to make changes so that we are our workforce works smarter and is successful how do we work towards success through inclusion well a couple of things that uh, first when employees return to work whenever that is um, they're going to come to you with all the stress uh, all the PTS-like symptoms that that uh, are um, uh, people experiencing right now. So we know you're going to have there. There are some issues that that concern the the Latino community. Uh, uh, that they've got family members they can't have, have access to. That maybe they don't have papers, and so there's all the additional stress. Still. So everybody's going to come with some level of stress. And, you know, I have a, a friend of mine who was in New York after uh, during September 11th, and she said when she came back, finally went in the subway, she had a panic attack. Um, and she'd never had one of those before. And she said, lucky for her, someone on the train figured out what was happening, and a woman helped her uh, through it and got her upstairs. Well, what are we going to do if employees start to have a meltdown? What are we gonna, how are we going to be prepared? They might need time off, a time to adjust. So I think... Um, these are all things that we're going to have to start thinking about while we're still in the shutdown mode, what family care issues will come up. You know, you, you might have children who are going to be more n nerved out, and you might have elders who are still at risk for this thing because this could come back in the fall. So so I think there's all those things about um, what's happening um, when they return. And But there are a bunch of things that I think that they can do. And then you said it first, get a guy, get somebody who knows a little bit about uh, this mental health and uh, psychological safety, and 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 get some advice. Um, gives their employees some kind of empathy training, okay, so they can be sensitive to the issues. Uh, you don't want people coming back and saying, "Oh, you need to get over it. It's not that bad." No, it is that bad for for many people, and we can't we can't take it too lightly. Uh, watch for unconscious bias uh, being played out. I I talked to a senior senior executive. He told me. That when he goes in the store, he looks at people now to determine do they look like they have good hygiene. So, I mean, I, I get it, but these are the kinds of things that are really going to uh, 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 be required that we think about it. Do we host listening sessions to give people a chance to talk about how they're feeling? So those are just some of the things that I have. Andre, anything that um, you want to add to that? Yes, thanks, Jerry. I couldn't agree with you more in terms of those uh, points and one of the things that we would advocate very strongly is that employers take advantage of planning ahead during this time. So we understand that the, the immediate impact of closing restaurants so on and so forth and the impact on the workforce is, a, is absorbing a lot of their time and energy. 
but also during this time, we have to start looking at things like, is, is working at home still a viable option for a lot of individuals? And I suspect that it would be. I think employers also have to think about the um, ramp-up time that's necessary to get back to work. And uh, we would caution that um, you give some strong consideration to sanitizing your facility before you open them back up again. Um, and for, for, for just for the obvious reasons to make them safe from a antibacterial standpoint, et cetera, but also to give a sense or a peace of mind for those employees who are going to be um, moving back into those situations. Um, this one is a bigger one, but its impact, you know, so many of employ, uh, employees who work within inner city markets are taking mass transportation. Jerry mentioned that um, earlier, and the, the impact of that, the closeness, the proximity uh, uh, um, um, of those individuals and the psychological impact of, and Jerry mentioned it also about the post-traumatic um, uh, syndrome. Those are factors that I think have to be in consideration. And lastly, the thing that comes to mind is the need to be much more flexible or continue your flexibility with workers who have young children because it was a major, it continues to be a major um, impact when schools were closed. Well, even when schools open, you have young people who have, uh, or you have individuals who have younger folks who are still in daycare. And the consideration for that from a, from a, cost reimbursement, et cetera. So those are just some additional things that come to mind for me. Jerry, I'm going to give you the last minute to share your thoughts for uh, for when employees are returning. What are things that we need to be thinking about, especially in the black community? Well, I think you you need to think about what, what policies impact your employees. Um, you know, black and Latino employees make up a big portion of, of the service economy. And so it can't just be left to government to, to be watching out for them. They have to watch out for themselves, and so I'm going to advocate for people to be more active politically and, and, and talking to com community leadership about what they do and don't do and how we, we change policies so you have access to health care, et cetera, et cetera. I think employers should do the same thing. Um, as you begin to make the, make the case that we have to wrap our arms around our employees and say that this is a great place to work for all. It's a great book written by Michael Bush, and he really talks about uh, a great place to work for all. So hopefully that's what we can, we can do as we come out of this, uh, this crazy time.